And so God, would you just keep helping them along the way? And we are so thankful for them. In your name, amen. All right, you guys can have a seat. Well, hey, good morning, everyone. My name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're a visitor here with us this morning, hey, we're so uh, glad that you are here. Um, hey, so a couple, just there's so much to celebrate today. This is so cool. So about four years ago, our staff and our elders, they became convinced that God was leading us to identify some key needs in our community and then go after those needs, meet them. And so as a result of that process, uh, back in around 2020, believe it or not, uh, we actually launched four new ministries to meet some of these needs. So we launched the Kids Own Preschool. Uh, that preschool has been, uh, it, in its two years of operation, it has been self-supportive and self-sustaining. Um, but we want you to know that that ministry has a waiting list. It's had a waiting list since day one. Uh, it's already won uh, some very prestigious awards in our community. So we thank God for the Kids Own Preschool. We launched two ministries around addiction recovery. Um, one of those, we, we launched The Bridge, which is where we host uh, ministries like Celebrate Recovery. All of our support groups occur there. We do uh, biblical counseling for people there. We have a food pantry there. Uh, that is just a place where we meet all kinds of needs in the community. And then we also launched the Women's Bridge to Ho Hope. This was a home for women who, are, uh, who just need a refuge as they're recovering from addiction. And over the last 28 months of that ministry, um, it has changed. No, change is too weak. It has transformed the lives of dozens of women and, um, and so we're very encouraged by that ministry, um, we, uh, often because of the, the, just the dedication of uh, some staff and key volunteers. Uh, that, woman has, that home to date has been fully staffed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And um, uh, so we're very, very proud of that ministry. And I'm very excited to announce that, um, that the women's home uh, is going to become its own brand new nonprofit ministry. Um, and I, we think that's an amazing thing. Uh, this, 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 this is only the women's home. The ministry of the bridge will continue to function under the auspices of the church. But we want you to know that as we launch this ministry into its own 501c3, that we want you to pray with us that that ministry will continue to impact men and women, or women for, uh, for decades. Now, this new ministry already has its own board, uh, and it, it's going to be, again, completely autonomous beginning June the first. And I also want you to know that this new board is made up of dedicated men and women 
all who all call Shelbyville Community Church their home. Um, and now we are working with that new board on a possible name change for the women's house moving forward. Uh, there's just been a lot of confusion related to uh, the word bridge, like because you've got the bridge and then you've got the ministry, which is bridge of care. And then you've got the home, which is bridge to hope. And a lot of people are like, what bridge am I a part of? Which bridge am I giving to? You know, so uh, we, we've asked them to consider a possible name change to kind of try to eliminate, you know, some of that confusion. And in a moment, we're going to pray for that new ministry as we're getting ready to launch it. But I also want to talk for just a moment about Shelby Supply. That's our jobs and skills training program. Uh, for 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 many many years, uh, we heard business owners, we heard organizations say things like this: We can't find, we can't keep good work. We we can't find people willing to work hard. And so Shelby Supply is our answer to that. It's uh, we do jobs and skills training there. We do jobs for life there at Shelby Supply. That's a very very exciting uh, program where we're actually partnering with an organization out of Indianapolis. Uh, and uh, so that, uh, I want you to know that that ministry is also fully self-sufficient at this point. Um, so all the renovations that continue to happen there at Shelby Supply, those are all completely paid for so that Shelby Supply isn't having to take on any, you know, debt for that. And we actually, we even hope, we envision a day when Shelby Supply will actually be a giving engine. It will actually be able to support the work that we're doing at the bridge. So that could be a cool thing. So uh, all of that, to say this, beginning in June, you're going to notice a smaller weekly budget need for the church. Uh, you may have noticed that there, we have what looks like kind of a daunting uh, deficit to our budget this half of the year, but that number is going to look much less daunting when our new numbers are reflected in uh, the Women's Bridge to Hope home becoming independent, Shelby Supply having already become uh, independent. So, um, so that's why that number is going to look smaller beginning in June. And so listen, we're so excited to be spinning off these ministries. Can't wait to see what our Heavenly Father is going to do in and through them. And so I'd like you to just take a moment and pray with me that God uses these ministries for decades to come. Let's pray together. Hey, God, we just thank you for the lives that have been shaped and changed uh, through the Women's Bridge to Hope. God, I thank you for the dedication. Uh, people like Mary and Marcia who've been so faithful. God, I thank you for the dedicated volunteers that have given so much time and energy there. And we pray, God, that as they go into a new season, that you would continue to bless them, that you would continue to use them, that you would set them apart. We ask that you would give them wisdom, and we ask that you would continue to do the same kind of amazing work that you've already been doing there. And so, God, I thank you for the men and women in our church that stepped up to serve on their board. I pray you'd bless them. I pray you'd give them wisdom and that you'd just do a mighty thing uh, out of this. And so we ask and pray it all in the name of our Jesus. Amen.
Amen. Hey, I'm going to invite Jacqueline to come up, and uh, she's going to read to us from uh, God's Word. If you could all please stand for the reading of God's Word. Today's reading is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. This is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Appreciate that. So as you may have guessed from that reading, we're continuing to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Uh, we've noted it's so important to remember that the backdrop for the kingdom of God, for the Sermon on the Mount, is the kingdom of God. We've said two things matter in the kingdom every week, right? Relationships and changed hearts, transformed lives. Now, uh, this morning, we're going to look at these words that Jacqueline just read, and uh, you probably recognize them. You've probably heard them quoted. In fact, you may have even heard them quoted by someone who doesn't even claim to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, this is one of the uh, mis most quoted and most misunderstood commands of Jesus, and I'm going to walk you through why that's so this morning. Now, if you're visiting with us, and you don't consider yourself much of a church person, chances are that what we're going to be talking about this morning is one of the reasons why you don't consider yourself a church person. Person. In other words, this is one of your issues with church people, and I'm, so I'm so glad that you are here because here are the words of Jesus. Uh, do not judge. Let's pray. No, we're not done. See, here's what's so amazing. What's, here's what's so important to understand about this command. It's followed by a comma not a period. That means that Jesus is just beginning this conversation about judgment. He's not ending it. He's going to continue to talk about it. Now, let me give you a definition of judgment. This is not my definition. I stole this from another pastor, but I think it suits the definition. Here's the definition for judgment. Thou shall not size me up and write me off. Thou shall not size me up and write me off. That's what it means to judge. judge. Judgment sizes people up and it writes them off. In other words, don't hear something I say. Don't see something I wear. Don't notice something on my body and size me up or write me off just because of that one thing. And the reality is this is popular, do not judge, because none of us like to be judged, right? Nobody likes it. And so this is one of the most popular things Jesus said. And as we begin to kind of think about judgment this morning, I want to begin with a question. Why do you think religious people tend to be so judgmental? 
Uh, So when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see right away that the ancient Jewish teachers of the law, they were super judgmental. Uh, Christians can sometimes be judgmental. Muslims can be judgmental. I mean, religious people, we can tend to rush to judgment on others, and it's a huge problem. So why do we judge? Well, I think two reasons. Number one, I think sometimes we judge because, well, we're jealous. In other words, we take note of people sinning, and on the surface, they appear to be having more fun than us. They don't appear to be suffering in any way because of their sin. And so the idea here is, if I can't, you shouldn't be able to either. Pastor Craig Rochelle says this. He says, look, if sin isn't fun, you're not doing it right. And I think that that's absolutely true. And I think this is what happens to us sometimes as religious people. We see people enjoying their sin and even seeming to, you know, do it successfully, right? And it drives us crazy. Now, clearly, this jealousy is rooted in a very, very shallow and superficial understanding of sin. Sin is the most devastating force. More families have been ripped apart, more people damaged through the course of history by sin than any other single thing. So clearly, this is a kind of a superficial and a shallow assessment of sin, but nonetheless, we do it anyway. I think the other reason we become judgmental is because of something called self-righteousness. Now, self-righteous people get that way for a couple of reasons. I want to walk you through those. One is they compare themselves not to God's standard of holiness, but to other people. And they say things like, I'm so much better than her. Or they think things like, I would never do that. Or I can't believe he said that. Or I can't believe she did that. And because they aren't comparing themselves to God's standards for holiness, but to others, they develop kind of an artificial sense of their own goodness. And then finally, people also become self-righteous. And this is so important when they forget their need for God's grace, for God's grace. Listen, they forget how desperately they need God's grace, not just once, but every single day. They magnify the sin of other people and they minimize their own sin. And they really believe, self-righteous people do, that their sin is more acceptable to God than the sins of other people. They have the arrogance and the audacity to think that God is really fortunate to have them on his side. See, this is why self-righteousness really is a form of arrogance. Now, what makes this quote, do not judge, so dangerous is that, as we said earlier, this was only the beginning of Jesus' conversation on judgment. It's often quoted as the final word. But it is most certainly not the final word because Jesus continues, do not judge. And what a lot of people think, what they mean, especially when non-Christians quote this verse, what they mean is don't criticize me, don't compare me to anyone else, don't confront me about anything that I do. Uh, Look, mind your own business, right? What I do, like, like you do you and you let me 
do me, right? That's the thinking that if there's any kind of criticism, any kind of assessment of the behavior of someone else, any kind of meddling, that's judgment. And that's in their mind wrong, right? It's none of your business. Don't judge. End of discussion. That's what Jesus said. But this is not what Jesus said. Well, he said it, but he continued the conversation. And it's certainly not what Jesus means. And so he goes on and he says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. So what Jesus is pointing out is that judgment gone wild always comes back on you. I mean, you see this in a marriage, right? So a spouse approaches you and they're a little, a little judge, judgmental of something that you do. Well, then what do you do? Then you go, oh, yeah, well, you, and like, so you judge, right? And you, you start and you get in this cycle of like judging one another and you never can break that cycle. That's essentially what Jesus is pointing out here. Essentially, and then he goes on and says this, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others and you will be measured by the same measure you use. So essentially, I mean, it's pretty clear, right? Jesus is saying, look, the standard you use to judge others is going to come back on you. It'll be used on you. So here's kind of a summary of what Jesus has said so far. Judge unto others as you would have others judge on unto you. That's kind of what he's teaching. And this brings us to a great question. How do you and I want to be judged? How do you want to be judged? Well, I'll tell you. I'll answer. I'll start first. I'll tell you how I want to be judged. I want to be judged mercifully. I want to be judged graciously. I want to be judged not just by that one thing, but by the whole context of my life. When you judge me, I want you to take into account the family I was raised in, the events that happened to me, the hurts that happened to me. I want you to take into account how I've been treated by other people. I want you to take into account all my insecurities. I want you to take into account all the kinds of temptations that I have to deal with. I want you to take into account my entire history, right? I want you to take into account all the hurt I've been through. I want you to take your, my motives into account. So when you judge me, you know, I want, I, want, I want to be judged mercifully. I want to be judged graciously. And, and if you're honest, isn't that how you want to be judged too? Not by just that one thing, that one event, that one mistake. I mean, that's all of us. Well, here's the good news. This is amazing news. This is exactly how our God does judge people, just that way. In fact, the psalmist says it this way. He says, you are righteous, Lord. That means he's always right. You are righteous, Lord, and your judgments are just. See, because God does know your family history. God does know all the hurts that you've been through. God knows all of that. And so he judges in the context of our whole lives. And then look at this uh, Psalm, not Psalm 9, 8. He judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment on the nations with fairness. God is fair. And isn't that the way we all want to be judged? 
So to recap, if you're going to judge me, you need to take into account all of me, not just that one thing or that one behavior, not that one bad hair day, right? Not the fact that you, you know that I work there or the fact that, you know, I mean, look, if you're just going to judge me, take my whole life into account. And then Jesus continues his discussion about judgment with a question, and it's brilliant. Here's what he says. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye. Now, let's just stop there first. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye? Now, it's something important to notice here. Look, uh, it's not wrong to notice that someone has a splinter in their eye. People are noticed. It's inevitable to notice. In fact, uh, it's, it's easy for me to see what's wrong with you right? And it's easy for you to see what's wrong with me. It's easy to do that. That's a human beings do that. We notice. It's okay to notice. Uh, But uh, here's the thing. Wow. Somebody's not happy. So according to Jesus, it's okay to notice. It's normal to notice that someone has a sinful tendency, a hurt or a habit or a hang-up they have to overcome. It's okay to notice someone else's issues. In fact, it's inevitable. We can't help but notice. As human beings, we just notice. That means it's okay to have opinions about other people, to notice their shortcomings. So why do you look at their splinter when, he goes on, and you've probably heard this before, and pay no attention to the beam of wood in your own eye. Now, this is, I think of it like a telephone pole. That's really what he's talking about here, a beam of wood. And I think, honestly, if we're honest in a moment of truth, we we can say, well, here's how we would answer that question. We would say, well, number one, it's more fun to look at the the splinter in your eye than it is to deal with the plank or beam in my own eye. I mean, look, I see the splinter in their eye. It's easy to see. I see what's wrong with them. That's easy. I mean, listen, if you have issues, it's obvious to the rest of us what your issues are. But isn't it true it's much harder to recognize what our own issues are? And that's what Jesus is kind of getting at. And so he goes on and he says, um, well, and then there's a kind of a second answer to that question. Well, honestly, Jesus, I didn't really notice the beam in my eye. Oh, yeah, I saw the splinter in her eye, but I didn't even really recognize that there was anything that big kind of wrong with me, right? Jesus is so brilliant here. He asks another question that builds on that one. He says, how can you say to your brother let me take the splinter out of your eye. So he wants us to take the splinter out of our brother's eye. He wants that to happen, but there's a list here, but, right? He says, when all the time there is a beam in your own eye. In other words, this is so important. How dare you point out what's wrong with somebody else if you're not willing to deal with what's wrong with you? You start there, and then Jesus points out the obvious problem that happens when people get that way. He says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite in this context is somebody that is more fascinated by what's wrong with someone else than they are what's wrong with themselves. It's someone more interested and more preoccupied in fixing other people than fixing themselves. And so they say one thing and do another. Now, I got to point out, point out something that's so important out of the gate. Hypocrisy is not just a Christian issue. 
It's not even just a religious issue. Hypocrisy is a humanity issue. All of us, no matter what value system we come from, can be hypocritical. Because a hypocrite is someone who doesn't live up to their own value system. And here's what we know. No one on the face of the earth has ever perfectly lived up to their value system except for one person, the Lord Jesus. None of us live that out perfectly, and that outs every one of us as hypocrites. So on the one hand, listen, if you don't like hypocrisy in Christians, you're in good company. Jesus didn't like it either. But on the other hand, avoiding Christianity because of hypocrisy is foolish. Because wherever you go, you're going to bump into hypocrisy. You can't avoid hypocrisy simply by avoiding Christianity. Yes, it is true that Christians can sometimes be hypocritical. But it is also true that atheists and agnostics are, can sometimes be hypocritical. Look, let me give you an example. Almost every atheist, almost every agnostic would say it's wrong to lie. 90, 100% of us in the room would, would say it's wrong to lie because lying damages relationships, right? And relationships matter. But do you know what the latest research just told us? That the average person lies 1.65 times every day. Every day. So we say, well, we shouldn't lie, but the research demonstrates that we all do it. And so what does that make us? It, I'll tell you what it makes us. It makes us hypocrites. It makes us hypocrites. Uh, and so, and if anything, this just shows us the powerful need that human beings have for the grace of God, for what Jesus did on the cross. So to, back to Jesus' definition, a hypocrite sees what's wrong with everyone else, but refuses to face up to what is wrong in them. And Jesus is saying, look, when it comes to sin, we should first focus on our own issues. We should first be willing to deal with our own sin. And then, and only then, will we see clearly to take the splinter out of our brother's eye. Listen, this command is a game changer. He says, first, take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly. See, when I see how messed up you are, it should remind me first how messed up I am, right? So because of your sin, I should go and examine my sin and I deal with my sin and consequently I'm better off. So basically your messed upness should help me become a better person and, uh, and my messed upness should help you become a better person. That's a great lesson, but Jesus isn't done. Here's what he goes on to say. What Jesus is about to say next changes the way Christians should think about love. And, and here's the thing I hope you never forget. And if you're new to Christianity, we're going to go right to the heart of what Christianity is all about. It's a command Jesus gave in John 3. We'll pull it up in a few minutes. But just the command to love one another. We'll dig a little deeper. But here's what I want you to see right at this moment. 
when Jesus, what Jesus says here in the Sermon on the Mount is a specific application of Jesus' command to love one another that's found in John 13. It's the way we are called to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, uh, so when, when Jesus says, look, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. See, because here's the, here's the problem. The problem with minding, because here's, so here's what, another thing we're tempted to do. So we said earlier that judgment writes people off and, or, or uh, what did we say? What did I say earlier? I have no idea. Don't judge me, all right? Don't, don't do that. Yeah, that we said, look, that judgment, um, uh, it's gone. Yes, thank you. We said, some of you were listening. Well, one of you was listening. Uh, yeah, so we said that, look, uh, judgment sizes people up and writes them off, right? Well, some of us, we size people up and we just walk away. We just walk away. We, go, we say, right, like it's none of my business. And the problem with me minding my own business is it does nothing for the person whose business needs minding. This is so important. What, uh, so important. See, if it just stops there, right, you might be a little better person, but your brother in Christ isn't. You might be a little better person, but your sister in Christ isn't. And suddenly, Jesus spins the whole thing around. What we thought he was going to say, he turns everything on its head. He says, well, I'm not finished talking yet. See, this is, this is not simply about minding your own business, and it's certainly not about becoming a better person based on all the issues you see in other people that you're just grateful to God that you don't have. This is about getting to a place where you can appropriately approach someone else about the junk in their life because you have first taken seriously the junk you have in your own life. See, Jesus commands us to address our stuff, but he doesn't ask us to address our stuff just for our own good. He doesn't ask you to address your stuff for you. He asks you to, to address your stuff for your brothers and sisters in Christ who also have stuff. See? Look, this is, friends, when you have a hard conversation with a Christian brother or sister, that is not judgment. That is obedience to the teaching of Jesus. And it takes us right back to that new command that Jesus gave to his disciples. It takes us right back to the night where he said, guys, if you forget everything else I've taught you, if you forget everything else I've said, don't forget this. And here's that command, John 13, 34 and 45, 34 and 35. I give you a new command, love one another. And here's what made it new, because he raised the bar, as I have loved you you are also to love one another. So this isn't just love when you feel like it or love when it's convenient or, or love when it's easy. No, this is, this is like a sacrificial love. This is a give yourself away every day kind of love that Jesus is calling us to with one another. It's so important to understand this, with one another. And here's the real problem. The real problem is that things like self-righteousness and jealousy get in the way of love. 
Jealousy just focuses on itself, right? It's just mad it didn't get its own way. And self-righteousness is just really an exaltation of myself at the expense of other people. See, this is important. When Jesus says, judge not, judge not does not mean care not. Judge not does not mean act not. Judge not does not mean mean react not. See, judge not is not about minding my own business because love forbids me to write people off and walk away. Love forbids it. It will never allow you to walk away, ever. It just won't. Uh, love forbids me from sizing you up and writing you off, and love forbids me from sizing you up and walking away. And Jesus called this, you know, um, yeah, anyway. So, all right, so here's, here's what I want to do, get real practical in the time that we have left together. Uh, I'm going to do something I haven't done in 29 years here, and so the good thing is if you're here and you find the next few minutes uncomfortable, I won't do it for another 29 years, so you're probably safe next week, right? So I'm going to talk to, there's three groups of people that need to be spoken to out of our teaching this morning, and I'm going to, um, I'm going to walk through the three groups of people, and as I do, I'm going to ask you to self-identify with one of these groups of people, and then I'll tell you what we're going to do afterwards. So group number one, are those of us, and our tendency, our knee-jerk reaction is to size people up and write them off. I mean, you're here, and your tendency, you know, if you get sloppy, is to lean into self-righteousness. I mean, you didn't mean to, but this is just, you know, what happens when people forget their constant need for grace, and Jesus called this hypocrisy. I mean, this is the thing that drove Jesus crazy, and here's why. Jesus died on a beam for that beam in your eye. Jesus died for the splinter in your brother or your sister's eye. And when you forget that, you forget what Jesus has done. And when you focus on the needs, on on other people's needs for Jesus before you consider your own need for him, you disregard him. So the thing that those of us who lean into self-righteousness should do the thing that those of us who write pe- who size people up and write them off, the thing we should do is we should repent of that before a holy God. We should say, God, that when I go that, when I move that direction, when I think those kinds of thoughts, that is sinful and wrong, and I need your help. I want you to help me to stop it. And then there's a second group of people in here, and you size people up. And you walk away. You size them up and you, you refuse to confront. You refuse to have the hard conversations. And you say things like, well, you know, there except for the grace of God, there go I. I mean, that could have been me. God, I'm so sorry. God, that breaks my heart. What that young lady's doing, that breaks my heart. What that young man is doing, that breaks my heart. But it's none of my business. I mean, it's, you know, you may even... 
spiritualize it a little bit. And you may seem to say things like, well, you know, I'm going to go home and I'm going to pray for them. And that's awesome. Certainly pray for them. That is a loving thing to do, but it's not the most loving thing to do. You know what the most loving thing to do? Have a word with them about it. Have a word with them about how destructive their sin is on their children. Have a word with them about how destructive their sin, how hurtful that's been to you. Like whatever, right? Just have the conversation. Listen, confronting people about their stuff is not insensitive. It is not judgmental. Confronting people about their issues is what love requires of you. Love demands it. God has done something in your heart and your life, and you can see clearly. You can see what that sin is doing to her. You can see clearly what that bad habit is doing to him. You can see what that activity is doing to his whole family, the effect it's having on him. You can see it, maybe because you've been there. Perhaps you've even done that. But the fact is, because you've taken your sin seriously, you can see clearly now to take the splinter out of their eye. It is your business to confront, to approach, to deal with difficult situations because that's what love requires of you. Because love doesn't size people up and write them off and love does not size people up and walk away that's unloving it's uncaring so so if you're here and that's you this morning you need you don't need to repent like those of us who are self-righteous do you need to confront you need to grow into getting better about about taking the splinter out of your neighbor's eye. And then there's a third group here, a third audience we still need to address. Somebody's come to you, they've confronted with you, they've had the hard conversation with you, and you just refuse to listen. Like someone has come to you about something in your life and you just wrote them off because you know why? Well, they were judgmental. You know, so you wrote them off. Or maybe they didn't do it perfectly. And, no, and, it'll, and by the way, this conversation never is done perfectly. Nobody's ever done it perfectly. So again, save our Savior, right? But see, because they didn't do it well, well, you get a hall pass and an excuse to just keep on behaving the way that you want to behave. But if you're honest, in your heart, you knew there was truth in what they were saying. You knew it. And in your heart, you knew something needed to change. I mean, listen, defensiveness, when any of us are defensive, when someone approaches us and we respond defensively, defensiveness just ensures that your past is going to continue into your present. It always does. It just ensures it because defensiveness puts you in a position where you won't grow ever. You won't ever get better. You won't ever become more like Christ. And I got to tell you, when somebody approaches you and it's always awkward and it's always uncomfortable, 
Um, and it doesn't matter how much that person prays, how much that person prepares, you will be able to find some fault in the way they approached you. Don't do that. Be so willing to be made into the image of Jesus. Be so desirous of the character of Christ in your life that when someone comes to you, you just perk up and you lean in and you listen hard because that's one of the ways that God's people become more like Jesus. And defensiveness just blows that up. It just blows up the whole thing. And so if that's you, your application is you just need to listen. You need to listen to the prompting of God. You need to listen to what uh, this person was saying. So three groups of people. Some of us here, we lean, one group leans into self-righteousness. We need to repent before a holy God. We need to remember that we have no righteousness to offer God other than what Jesus has given to us. And we need to have a conversation with God about that. Others of us, we notice the sin in others and we don't write them off like the first group. We just walk away. We do nothing. And in doing nothing, we are refusing to love. And then there's a third group. You've been approached. Someone has challenged you. You need to listen. So here's what I'm going to do that's going to make us uncomfortable. And I'm going to tell you clearly why. I'm going to ask you to out yourself. I'm going to ask you to be willing to be transparent and real about which of those struggles is yours. And if I was being honest, some of you might have to raise your hands two or three times, but I'm only going to ask you to do it once. You're welcome. So, so listen, here's, here's every, so, so everybody in the, in the room is, needs to have a hand up at one time or another. And here's what's so beautiful about something like this. If we will be transparent and open and honest about our struggle, if we are willing to bring that out into the light, you know what our God says? He says, well, now I can start working on that. Oh, you're fine. And listen, listen, those of us who lean into self-righteousness, if that's you, God's not going to be surprised when you hold your hand up. God already knows, all right? None of you are going to take God by surprise at any point in the service by holding your hand up. So I'm going to start and I'm going to admit this first one is sometimes true of me. This is my tendency. This is my inclination. So group number one, those of us who lean into self-righteousness, we write people up. No, no, no. <laughs> we size people up and we write them off. Come on. No way. There's Okay, we're getting a little more honest. Keep them up real high. Do it proudly. Keep them up. God, for this group, we confess to you the sin of our self-righteousness. We acknowledge together that you and you alone are the Lord and that any bit or scent of righteousness that we have has been given to us by your son Jesus. He died on a beam to take the beam out of our eye. God, help us remember that. And help us, to, help us to just change our minds about sizing people up and writing them up off, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so you can...
and put your hands down. Now, group number two, those of you who have a tendency to size people up and just walk away, you do the unloving thing. How, how many of us? Yeah, look at all those hands. Beautiful. Let's, let's pray together. Hey, God, now for this group, God, we, just, we admit that, you know, sometimes we just would rather be comfortable than to love well. And so, God, don't let us be comfortable. Help us, give us the love that we need. I mean, as we bask in your love, as we abide in your love, give us the love that we need to be able to go to our brothers and sisters. God, because we, we should love them enough to want them to not stay messed up. We should love them enough to not want them to, uh, to continue in that behavior. And so, God, um, would you use these folks in the months to come? Would you share your joy with them and grow their courage? Lord, you say in your word, you've not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power. And so I pray power for the men and women in our audience in this group. And I ask it in the mighty name of our Jesus. Amen. Thank you. And then the third group, somebody's approached to you. They've come to you. They've tried to talk to you about something and you just refuse to listen hands up hi hi come on everybody some of you are holding back god knows you don't want to be a liar right now right because that just makes you a hypocrite so that's even worse yeah keep those hands up hey god for this group we pray um we pray, God, that you would, uh, we just are grateful first that you're a forgiving God, that you give second chances even when we fail to listen, maybe even third or fourth or fifth chances. God, would you help us to be better listeners? Would you help us to be less defensive? Would you help us to be more willing? Would you put the desire in us to be so like your son that we are eager to have those kinds of conversations? We want to grow. We want to get better. We want to be more like you. And so we welcome those conversations, every one of them, as an opportunity to do just that. So God, take our thinking and turn it on its head. We repent of that. We change our minds about it. And we just thank you that, um, for, for the second chances that come when we listen. So we give you thanks and praise, and we do it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. So, so I want to I walk you through why that exercise was so important. When people can be transparent and open about their own sin struggles in a church, it gives other people in the church permission to talk about their own sin struggles. So here's how this works. You go to a small group, right? And the small group leader confesses some struggle with sin. That, like, so they talk about the beam that's in their eye, right? Well, then then how do you feel in a group like that? I know exactly how you feel. I know exactly what you, you think. You think, man, I'm in the right place. These people are real. I can talk about my junk in this group. I can talk about my issues in this group. And that is exactly what the kingdom of God is supposed to be all about. No more hiding. No more pretending. Just being real and honest about where God needs to work 
in my life. And when I do that, that gives you permission to do the same. And it starts to build and create a culture of humility and graciousness that the church so badly needs. Not just this church, every church. But if people refuse to do that and they hide behind their self-righteousness, that is so destructive to a church. Amen? It's so destructive to our souls. It's so destructive to my soul when I do it. So, man, we just need to get in the habit of just casting these things at the feet of Jesus. And, and I want you to just one more thing, and then I'm going to close right on time. Yay. Uh, and that is this. Look, imagine the light we could be to our community if we loved one another enough that we would go to one another and that when people came to us, we listened because we wanted to grow. We wanted to get better. Imagine the kind of people and church we would become and imagine the difference that we would make in, uh, in our little community. It would be beautiful and magnificent and our God would get all the glory for that. Amen? So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, um, Thanks for today. Thanks for your words, Jesus. I mean, man, you called us out today, every one of us. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you love us, but I'm grateful that you love us far too much to allow us to stay that, the way that we are. You're always calling us to more. You're always calling us to higher. And God, uh, we're better with you in our lives. And so we give you thanks, we give you praise, and we do it in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen.